say that there isn't necessarily a right way to do it. I would say that, you know, if you're trying to figure out what to do as a startup and, and where to start, the most important thing you can do is start. And if you can get 80% of the way there, then oftentimes that remaining 20%, like let's say that that remaining 20% is uh, the gap between where you're at and a perfect answer, a perfect product, a perfect sales pitch. Oftentimes that 20% is more of a nice to have than the 80% of actually having something there. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has built several business, or startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great guest on the podcast, Sam Norton. Um, to give you a bit of an introduction to him. So Sam has always kind of been an entrepreneur. Um, um, he was, you know, never had the courage to make the leap on his own until his brother and some other co-founders kind of uh, reached out to him. The timing was right. And so after he graduated from BYU and Go Cougars um, and examined, uh, looked at some of the digital slide decks and billboards and other things out there, I think he mentioned, and we'll get into it, that it started out as something to do with the Capstone Project graduated, dived in, and then has been doing the uh, startup life ever since. And so with that much as an introduction, welcome onto the podcast, Sam. Hey, thanks, Devin. It's good to be here with you. So I gave kind of a brief introduction, but taking us now back in time to when you uh, got going, you know, give us a bit of that, uh, that backstory of how things got going for you. Yeah. Okay. Great, Devin. So um, as you mentioned, things for Slide Tech really started when my brother and uh, our third co-founder, Kevin, were in their last semester at BYU during their Masters of Information Systems program. And they started kind of fiddling around with this idea. And my brother, uh, who was a student at the time, was kind of up in front of a classroom and giving his, his presentation to the class. Hmm. And he just kind of looked out and he saw laptop after laptop after laptop is just a sea of, you know, apples looking at him. And he just looked, hmm. realized that nobody was paying attention. You know, nobody was listening and kind of felt like, you know, what most professors I think feel like in a, a classroom setting where it's really tough to understand whether or not somebody is paying attention. And, you know, in today's digital age, there's really no reason why that laptop, that second screen can't be used to help somebody wander deeper into the presenter's content and enhance the presentation mm. rather than be a distraction or a deterrent. Um, and that's kind of where the idea of slide tech was born. My brother called me and told me what he thought about the idea. And I thought it was a great idea. And we kind of poked around for a couple of months mm settings so now jumping settings. in what were you doing at the time so your brother was he was doing his capstone he was in school where were you at or what were you doing yeah i was working for a company called Pluralsight. Uh, mm. they're a technology company uh, based out of utah that helps uh, technology teams upskill their workforces and so mm. i was already a little bit uh, familiar with kind of the remote learning use case Mm. Uh, and so we've kind of tried to leverage some of that 
background in building out slide deck. I'd been graduated for about three years from BYU by the time. So what did, what did, and just as a backstory, so what did you graduate in at at BYU or what did you study? Yeah, I was a marketing major at BYU in the Marriott School of Business. So, so if you, if I were to summarize, so you were, you'd been grad or you went to BYU, got your marketing major, graduated, have been working for Pluralsight for about three years and during that, you know, as you're working in Pluralsight, your brother does this presentation for Capstone, has a realization that nobody pays attention to the slide decks unless they're really cool or presentations and how to make that more interactive. He reaches out to you and was that a, hey, this is a great idea. Let me quit my job tomorrow and we're going to go all in. Or how did, you know, how did that conversation go or how did it start to evolve from there? Well, it's funny because if you know me and my brother, you know, we have an idea probably a week where... We just kind of talk about things. We just kind of, you know, explore different concepts and different business cases and use cases. It's kind of like what we do for fun, honestly. Mm. It's, you know, I don't know, deprived childhood or something. But uh, we basically just would kind of spitball back and forth uh, on various ideas. So it wasn't like it was uncommon or like something out of the blue for him to call me and say, hey, I got this idea. You know, that was kind of Mm. a weekly cadence uh, for (laughs) us. Mm. Um, and it didn't really start to take shape or take form until we started getting some of that initial validation and traction from people who said that they would actually use something like this. Mm. So now, so he pitches you, you know, almost on a weekly basis of your ideas, kind of what you have, what he has, you know, the idea of the week, so to speak. And, you know, it sounds like, you know, you, you toss it around, you kind of mull it over, but you know, you, you continue to work at your job, obviously during that time in plural site. So what was different about this idea or how did you start to say, okay, this has some momentum to it, or we'd like to actually start to do something with it as opposed to, Hey, that's a cool idea. And now I'm going to go back to my job type of a thing. Yeah. Good question. I think really what set this one apart is it gave us a little bit of uh, inspiration. The fact that people were actually getting excited about the idea with us. Mm. You know, so I, I would, you know, talk to my colleagues at Pluralsight about it. And, you know, I would say, yeah, what do you think about this? What do you think about this kind of idea? Is this a problem that you see too? And mm. people would, I mean, I've, I gotta be honest with you, Devin, and I'm not, I mean, it wasn't my idea. It was Matt's idea. So I, I'm, mm. I, I can boast about him, but I've literally never had anybody tell me that it's a bad idea. Mm. I mean, if you, if you think about what a slide deck is right now, it is maybe the most underutilized and under-resourced um, presentation or business tool that we have, especially for how ubiquitous they are. You know what I mean? Mm. And so every time that we talk to somebody about, look, like we can make the slide decks interactive. So it's actually like a two-way feedback type channel where you can interact with it. You can do what you want with it. And then we Mm. track those interactions and send them back to the presenter in real time so that the presenter knows what content actually matters and what content really resonates. That is something that I think a lot of people understood really quickly. Mm. And I think that's probably what, what made the idea a little bit different. I will say that there's still always that kind of leap of faith component mm. to it. You know, even though we had people telling us it was a good idea, even though we had people who said that they wanted to use it and, you know, agreed to be beta users and things like that, there's still that, you know, feeling in your stomach where you're like, all right, if we're going to do this, we got to, we got to do this. And, so- uh, 
so to dive yeah. in, so so now he comes and say, okay, finally I found an idea that I can get behind with my brother, and it's a good idea, and I think it's one that we should put some time and effort behind. Did you, you know, how did that transition work? Did you continue to work at Plural Site and do this as a side gig for a period of time? Did you say, okay, I'm quitting my job tomorrow and I'm going to be doing this full time and we'll figure out how to, you know, move back in with the parents and we won't have, we'll live on, you know, live on passion, not on money and those type of yeah. things? Or how did you make that transition from I'm work, working at Plural Site to, hey, I'm going to go or do this as a startup with my brother? Yeah, it's a great question. So we, I continued to work at Pluralsight for a little while while we kind of tested the idea and, and vetted the idea. Um, but as soon as we decided to actually make it uh, a company, I quit. I felt like it would be um, kind of disingenuous to Pluralsight and to Slide Tech if I were trying to do both at the same time. I know that's a viable thing mm. that people do and they have the, the side hustle and things like that. But I'm a very um, single track kind of minded person like very focused where if I'm doing multiple things I feel like I can't do them as well and so mm. I just decided um, you know for me personally it made more sense to just have one thing pursue one thing or the other and I felt like slide tech was a big enough opportunity uh, that it would be worth it and uh, we definitely did the uh, live on passion not money type of thing <laughs> Uh, we actually did move back in with my parents. It was a bit of a lifestyle change. Um, fortunately, my wife uh, got a, a big promotion uh, at her work, and that kind of helped um, on the personal financing side. But yeah, we've we've definitely been in the uh, passion, not money mode, mm. and fortunately are starting to see things start to turn a little bit. So no, and I think that there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And, you know, that's always the hard thing when you're at a startup, you know, or any business is, you know, how do we afford this? Do we try and do this as a side gig? If you do it, you have split attention and you never have enough time to really get it going. And the opposite, if we dive all in and we don't have the, you know, if it doesn't work out or, you know, doesn't make the money, then what do we do next? And so I always think that that's a balance. So so now you dive in, you said, okay, we're going to go back to the parents. You convince the wife that, you know, hey, we're going to do a bit of a lifestyle change. I think in the long run, this will be, I'll be happier. Or we'll be more financially set or, you know, the different motivations of going to a startup. So how is that, you know, how's that gone since then? Is it, was it all you thought it would be? And, you know, you got in, you dived in, you built something and it took off like wildfire and you're making lots of money. Has it been a difficult up and down roller coaster? Has it been it's still too early to tell or kind of where are you guys at? Yeah, great question. I should mention too that there were a couple of different um, factors that also allowed us to kind of make that jump. And those were provided by BYU and the University of Utah. Hmm. So I've never started a company in Silicon Valley. I'm sure it's wonderful, but I genuinely can't see how it gets better than hmm. starting a company uh, in Utah. Between those two universities, we had entrance into two incubators, two incubator programs. Um, they gave us money, they gave us resources, they gave us mentorship. I mean, it, it really was uh, kind of stacked in our favor, I think, because of the resources that this uh, community um, has kind of collectively agreed to put back into budding startups. So uh, I would say that that definitely helped uh, kind of push us over the edge and kind of help 
push us into this, this journey. Mm. Um, so to answer your question about whether or not it's, you know, everything we thought or anything like that, it's definitely different than, uh, what I, what I thought when I was in high school, I played two different sports. So I played Mm. football and then I wrestled and, um, I would say like, if, if you're a football player and you're, you know, one of 11 people on the field on your team, then you can miss a tackle and somebody else can come in and, and kind of, you know, clean things up. Mm. Um, wrestling is a little different, right? It's, it's just you and, and one other person. And if you, you know, mess up or do the wrong move or, you know, flip the wrong way or whatever, um, it's kind of on you and it's on you to get that back. Mm. Um, a startup is a lot more like wrestling, a mm. lot more like wrestling where if, if you, you know, forget to reach out to a prospect or you, you know, slips, something slips your mind in the product or something like that. Mm. Um, it's on you to, to go fix it and, and to go, to go make it happen again. Um, and I, I would say that that is something that was a little bit of a transition going from, you know, Pluralsight, a company with thousands of employees to, mm. uh, you know, just being me and my brother and Kevin. And uh, it's really on us. No, and I think, you know, there's a, that's the bittersweet thing, right, of doing your own thing. In the one sense, you're able to say, hey, I can finally make the decisions. I don't have to go through all of the bureaucracy. I don't have to go through months of waiting and budgets and time and getting approvals. And I can just, we, you know, we think of something, we can implement it, and we can get going on it. But on the other side, there isn't a shield. There isn't anybody to duck behind her. There isn't a team or anything else. If you do it, or you, as you point, if you miss it, either way, you, it's on you and you, you know, you, you, t- you bear that responsibility, which can be exciting and horrifying all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. You get it. That's, that's exactly right. So you, you, so now you've jumped in, you've been doing this for a period of time. You've had some good luck with the universities around here. You've been working on it. You've been getting going. So now where do you see kind of the next six to 12 months taking you guys? Is it, Hey, we're pivoting for COVID and we're, you know, waiting for schools to reopen or, Hey, now because schools are closed and they're doing more zoom meetings and slide decks and that than in person it's picking up and we're going to focus on that and really hit the market hard or kind of, where do you see the next, uh, next phase going for you guys? Yeah, it's definitely picking up um, because of COVID. I think, Um, you know, there are a lot of professors who have taught the same way for a long period of time. And now this pandemic happens and either they're doing things remotely or they're doing things in a hybrid setting where you've got a third of the class or smaller that's in person and everybody else is on Zoom. Um, and it kind of creates this, this interesting thing uh, where most professors have Zoom and then they share their screen and that's kind of it. And we've started to see that uh, professors and not only, I should say, not just universities, but also high schools and, uh, you know, K through 12, um, engagement is really dropping in, in a lot of classrooms. And, and it's tougher to get kids uh, to class and it's tougher to get them engaged when they're actually in class. Mm. And so um, we've actually seen that our solution is really adept at solving these issues mm. uh, because the, not only because it improves the audience experience where they can you know, take notes and ask questions and add, you know, other people's comments and questions to their notes and kind of just makes it a little bit more collaborative of a, 
of a um, class. Mm. But on the other hand, the professors can also see, you know, if students uh, are able to really understand certain concepts, if they're really engaged in the class at all. And uh, so that's been really, really valuable for professors who mm. have been hit hard by this pandemic and are using slides. No, and I, th- I think that makes complete sense. I mean, I think it is a paradigm shift and it'll be interesting at, you know, at some point, at least my personal belief, COVID will die down or it will end. We'll either get a vaccine or people will get it enough. Eventually a normalcy will return. Don't know when that exactly will be. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that now, whether the dynamic sticks and whether they continue to do more online or whether that is a, you know, a phased approach or if they go back to just what they knew and how that, how that will all play out, I'm sure is a bit of an uncertainty and it'll make for an opportunity as to, to play a role in that as to what that might look like now that we've kind of been, you know, forced into a different dynamic and how that, you know, how that can maybe improve and be made better. Yeah. It's funny because the idea for slide tech actually started before the pandemic uh, really, really picked up. I mean, I think it was kind of happening in China a little bit and you kind of hear some, some whisperings uh, of it, but I mean, nothing like the, you know, full force gale winds that are going on right now. So, um, you know, originally we thought this was going to be kind of an in-person tool. Um, And then we just, happened to find that the use case uh, really exploded as a result of remote learning. No, and sometimes, hey, that that makes the most sense. Some things are fortuitous and some things, you know, what was interesting is a little bit, you know, I always get asked, you know, with the, the law firm, you know, hey, are things slowing down? Are they picking up? Where are you guys at? You know, and, and fortunately, I, I, my, my typical answer is, is no, we're at, you know, we're doing versus March, April and that we've actually picked up and we're busier than before that, you know, before March and April. But it was really more because we set it up that, you know, we're a internet, you know, a national or a firm that we can meet with clients from anywhere. And we really set that up well ahead, not anticipating COVID, but just saying, hey, we'd like to not just be a local firm or not just do, you know, the people right in our area. And then it's worked out well that now as people are doing COVID, as they're, as they're not going to their local law firm and going downtown, they're looking to say, hey, what is the best provider regardless of where they're located because i'm not going to meet them in person anyway so it's interesting how sometimes the unforeseen pivots or unforeseen occurrences if you if you're smart and take advantage of them can actually be a, a blessing or at least provide for a good pivot yeah yeah that, that makes a lot of sense it's it's headwinds and tailwinds uh yep. a lot of the times and you know these these macroeconomic forces really do have um an effect on the smaller startups yeah no definitely so now as, as we start to wrap up the podcast or reach towards the end of it i always have two questions i ask at the end so we'll jump to those now so the first question i always ask is so throughout your journey what's been your worst business decision and what have you learned from it yeah great question and i've been kind of thinking about this Devin, ever since you know you told me um that you're going to ask this and i've really tried to think through what that would be and I've come to the conclusion that a non-decision is still a decision, right? Mm. I couldn't think of a decision that we made that, you know, ended up being a big mistake or anything like that. But I can't think of things that we didn't do that would have been, you know, a tremendous boon for our company. And one of those things um, has to do with spending money. 
Mm. And it sounds a little crazy, right? Because, you know, you're starting this company, you're bootstrapping, um, you know, you're, you're taking a, a personal financial risk and, and things like that. But I think that startup finances and personal finances are different. You know, they're different kinds of things. And uh, in personal finances, you wouldn't necessarily say, okay, spend more, spend more. Uh, because it'll help you in the future, right? Mm. But from a startup side, uh, when you're thinking about what you can do with your money, really the only thing that your money is there for is for you to make more money with it later. Mm. That's it. You know, you're not buying, uh, you know, plush offices or anything like that. Like it, when you're in startup world, like you are trying to figure out, okay, what's the return that I can get for this dollar? And I think if you approach it with that frame of mind, you'll spend your money a little bit faster and a little bit earlier and a little bit more methodically. Um, mm. And so I would actually say the thing that we could have done better was spend our money earlier and spend our money faster uh, and spend our money more deliberately. Um, mm. I think that that actually you know, we, we kind of were approaching it with the personal finance lens a little too much still where mm. we were thinking, you know, about preservation and cash preservation and things like that. And uh, truthfully, if you want to slice, you got to roll the dice. And I would say spending more money uh, up front is a good way to make sure that you're going to have uh, money to spend later. No, and I think that that's, you know, that one's a, it's a, good, it's a hard thing to find the right balance because if you spend all your money right out of the chute and you're saying, hey, we've got to spend money to make money and you spend it all and then you, you don't have enough runway to ever get the product out, then you can, you know, then your business never takes off. And yet on the opposite side, if you miser it so much, you can actually hinder the growth of the business because you're saying, hey, we're so conservative, we're passing over opportunities or otherwise not taking advantage of opportunities or growing or exploring new markets or reaching new customers. And you're actually foregoing that. And so I think to your point, sometimes by not making the decision or by holding off or by not doing things, it can be as detrimental to a business or it can hold it back as much as anything else. So I, I like that. Yeah. And just to be clear, I'm, I'm not saying spend recklessly by any means. I'm saying spend deliberately, be really methodical about how you do it, but understand that if you pull the trigger earlier rather than later, you'll have the results of that spend earlier rather than later. Yeah, no. And I, I think that, I think, I think that that is the balance, right? Don't spend recklessly, but don't hold on to your cash such that now you're, you're not going to be able to grow the business. And I think that's a balance that everybody makes. And you know, either typically you, you learn the lesson one way or the other, right? Either you learn the lesson because you spent all the money and you run out of money and now you're trying to have them to figure out how to fund things or you hold on to it too, or too tightly and then you're saying, ah, oh, I could have done more things and I wish we'd done that, started this earlier. And so it's usually it's a hard lesson to learn. Everybody almost has to learn that balance. Well, as we now jump to the second question, um, which is now if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Yeah, the piece of advice that I would give somebody um, who is doing a startup is I would say that there isn't necessarily a right way to do it. I would say that, you know, if you're trying to figure out what to do as a startup and, and where to start, the most important thing you can do is start. And if you can get 80% of the way there, then oftentimes that remaining 20%, like let's say that that remaining 20% 
is uh the gap between where you're at and a perfect answer, a perfect product, a perfect sales pitch. Oftentimes that 20% is more of a nice to have than the 80% of actually having something there. So if you're, if you're trying to decide between, um, you know, building a feature and not building a feature and you can do it in a relatively risk, risk-free way where you're not, you know, mortgaging your entire business to actually do it. I would say ship the feature, you know, and Mm. if you're trying to figure out, should I talk to this person about my product or should I talk to this person about my product? You should just talk to both people about your product, you know? So I think that there's uh, more that than can be done. They say 70% of uh, success is showing up. And I think that that's absolutely true in the startup space. No, and I, I think that's, that's great advice, and I think that certainly makes sense. Well, as we wrap up, if people want to reach out to you, they want to find out more about you know Slide Tech, they want to be a customer, they want to be an investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, <laughs> what is the best way to connect up with you or find out more? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Samuel Norton. Uh, the company is called Slide Tech. And you can also shoot me an email. It's slidekick, S-L-I-D-E-K-I-C-K, Sam uh, at gmail.com. Feel free to shoot me an email or connect with me on LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, I think that that's a great way. Certainly invite people to connect up with you and uh, find out more. Use your product and uh, and and get to or, and uh, get to know the get 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 to know you guys better at SlideTech. So. And I appreciate, or so Sam, I appreciate you coming on. Now is uh, now is for anybody else that's a listener. If you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to reach out to us at inventivejourneyguest.com and apply to be on the podcast. Love to hear your story. If you are a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you hear or get notifications as all the new awesome episodes come out. And last but not least, if you ever need help with patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. We are always here to help. Thanks again, Sam. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Devin. Thanks for having me. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode of The Inventive Journey, make sure to go and check out Startups Magazine. They're an awesome uh, magazine and podcast centered over in the UK. And if the magazine is a digital and print magazine where they focus on um, tech startups and entrepreneurs, and they also have a focus on uh, female founders and women in tech. So if you want to check out their magazine, neither digital or print, it's uh, Startups Magazine, Startups with an S, magazine.co.uk. And you can also look up their podcast, which is called The Serial entrepreneur so go check them out they're awesome and definitely if you like this episode you'll like them